Hi, everyone. Welcome to Refine and Grow with Justin and Lindsay. My name is Lindsay Allen. And my name is Justin Mueller, and this is your podcast for proven strategies on navigating and managing work life. Okay, so the chapter that we're highlighting on this episode is called, This is What You Do, Not Who You Are. And again, Sinead, this one came from you. You were interviewing for new jobs. You had left the firm that Justin and I were working at to go work in industry. Then you were going back to consulting. It's a common thing with management consultants, going back and forth between being a consultant and actually working for the companies you consult for. But in the midst of that, you and I had lunch because we were both working close by and you told me I'm interviewing right now and you had two little kids and you were saying that you needed them to understand your young children were going to have to come first Mm -hmm. at kind of this season or phase of your career. And you were saying up front to them, this is what I do, not who I am. And my reaction was that was too bold to say in an interview. And you said that you were setting proactive expectations and it didn't really matter once you explained it more and gave more context in the interview to that phrase. It didn't really matter if people didn't get it because what that meant was if they didn't get it, then they weren't the type of people that you wanted to work with and for. The ones who understood what you were trying to say were the ones that would be the type of people that would be a good fit for you. So I just want to hear kind of more about using that. And for me, what it did was it helped me understand how to proactively set expectations and be bold and confident about those expectations that you're setting. So I just want to kind of hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. So I think a lot of this goes back to, you know, we've talked already about boundaries and setting boundaries. And once I know what my boundaries are, I definitely start talking about those as soon as I can. And so that for me saying that this is what I do, it's not who I am, is one of the early ways for me to really express that I love what I do, but it's not the only thing that I do. And it's not the only thing that I have in my life. And we talked about this on another episode where I'm always quick to say, I'll give you my best work, but it's got to be within these boundaries because it's not just who I am. Like there are things to me outside of the great work that I want to bring to your team. It's been helpful, like you were saying, for me to frame that to kind of gauge how people are feeling about it. One of the things that's part of setting boundaries for me is that if I'm interviewing with someone, not only are they interviewing me, but I'm always interviewing them to understand how they think about work, life, balancing, whatever you want to call it. I'm always testing those waters as well. And so because of that, there are opportunities that I've missed out on that I really wanted to be a part of, but because they weren't able to meet or fit inside my boundaries, I wasn't able to take advantage of them, which is a bummer. But if you're going to set those boundaries, you have to stick to them. And that's one of the ways that I found to do that. Yeah, this chapter aligns really closely with the don't try to understand why you can't influence it. That's where you were teaching me boundaries. I think about staying in my lane and making sure that I was focusing my time at work on what was most important and prioritizing this. But this is what you do, not who you are. This is what I do, not who I am. For me, was more about the work-life balance or work-life health that you're talking about. And I learned with the, having the conversation about work-life health, I had to get really clear on what my expectations were. And then I had to proactively address them. And I just didn't realize that there's an opportunity to address it for the first time 
not on your first day, but when you're interviewing and how much more powerful that is if you're walking in on your first day with that already being the expectation. Especially if you've taken the approach that you're interviewing the team just as much as they are you. So you're looking for fit just as much as they are. And as long as you're willing to say, I might have to turn something down that I was really looking forward to if you're really wanting to stick to those boundaries. And I have been told by several consultants at the firm we both worked for that on their very first day meeting their client, they would say, I'm here in the office Monday through Thursday from nine to four, and I'm online from seven till seven-ish. And on Fridays, I work from the consulting firm's office, but I'm online if you need anything. And I was told so many times, make sure you have that conversation immediately. Mm -hmm. And so I would, and it was scary. It was hard, but I would think through what I wanted to say, you know, what the expectations were about when I was at work and when I was offline. But then I found that I had to remind people. It would be scary to me and they would be like, yep, I got it. But then they would forget. And I had to constantly update and remind them. And it was an important lesson that I learned that just because you say it once doesn't mean then you're done. The expectation and boundary has been set. People need to be reminded. And you can even proactively remind them before they need a reminder. For example, I would get IMs from a client on a Friday and they'd be like, where are you working from? Can you come to my office? And I would be like, no, remember I'm at my office Fridays, but I'm online. So I can be there in an hour if you need to meet in person or I can jump on the phone, like that kind of a thing. It's a well-known saying, but I heard you use it a lot and we even used it in that episode about boundaries earlier is teaching people how to treat you. And I know that was big for you too. And that's how I thought of it is proactively set expectations with people about your boundaries. That's how you can achieve that work-life health. For sure. Because if you say my weekends are for my family, you can expect that I won't be available Fridays after five or whatever it is, but then you're sending off emails at eight o'clock on Saturday morning, you're teaching them that even though you said that you won't be working or available on the weekends, you're teaching them that you actually are. On one hand, you're teaching them what your boundaries are, but then you could also be teaching them what your bad habits are as well as far as those things are concerned. Right. Or that you're inconsistent. Another reason I think, even though it might be scary, it's important to consistently hold those boundaries. And Justin, you were the one who had brought up the, you teach people how to treat you. So I know that's a mantra for you as well. The other thing is that you are the one who changed my taxonomy from work-life balance to work-life health. You talked about it in several other episodes to the point where I went back to my book and changed it from balance to health. And I want to hear a little bit of the context behind how you came to that realization that work-life health is a better term than balance and why. Yeah, I read something several years ago where basically the author, author or speaker, I can't remember if I read it or if I heard it, basically said, you're at work 80% of the time, you know, 40 hour work week, Monday through Friday, let's just say it's 40 hours. Typically, we work more than that. But in an average 40-hour work week, throughout most of your day, depending upon if you have a commute or not, which I used to have a commute. So let's just say you commute an hour back and forth. So now you're out of the house 10 hours. That's 10 hours of your work day. And then factor in dinner and time with the family. It's what's 10 out of 24. That's like 40% of your total work week, Monday through Friday. But then let's just factor in six to eight hours of sleep every night. So now 16 of 24 hours is either spent at work or asleep. So basically two thirds of your life is spent working or sleeping. And 
everything else is kind of bookended in the morning or in the evening. So all that to say, like, there is no such thing as balance, right? It doesn't exist. You are inherently unbalanced, period, right? How you spend your time. So now it's what's healthy. What is a healthy work life? What do you need to do versus what you want to do versus, you know, what's mission critical versus what's nice to have. And I think speaking to Sinead's boundaries, if your aspiration is to become an executive vice president or a C-suite executive, particularly at an upper mid or larger organization, you're going to be committing a lot more than 40 hours a week to get to that level. You're going to be committing 60 to 80. And then once you get there, you're likely going to be working six to seven days a week. So if you want work-life health and you value that over and above the achievement of certain titles or certain monetary objectives or a certain status in the corporate world, you're probably going to have to make a choice at some point as to what you value and what limitations you're going to place so you can live a healthy life. So for example, I have four children, two of them are out of the house, but one is graduating this spring and then heading off to the army in the fall. I have an 11 year old who is at an extremely critical juncture in his emotional, social, physical development. I've got a wife that doesn't want to be my servant. I know, really odd. And she actually wants, you know, we've been married for almost 25 years. We have things we like to do together. We like to go on dates and see concerts and eat good food and travel. And then I've got friends, believe it or not. Social bonds amongst men are not as strong as they are amongst women sociologically. And so we don't get to see each other a lot because oftentimes our spare time is spent with our wife and our kids. I'm pretty involved in my church community. I like to ski. I'm a big outdoors guy. And yes, I have honey-do lists, which I'm woefully behind on most of the time. Like I spent most of yesterday removing a toilet and installing a new toilet. And I've achieved a modicum of success as a vice president. It took me about 16 years in my professional career to become a VP. I know some people have gotten there faster and some people have taken longer to get there. So I think you can have success and maintain balance and health. But I think you have to ask yourself what you're willing to give up. What are you willing to trade for that? And is the juice worth the squeeze? And quite frankly, this is on a podcast that hopefully lots of people are listening to. So I'll betray myself a little bit. There are times on Fridays where I've done all I can do for the week. I've hit my limit. A lot of my colleagues are on the East Coast. Unless I have a critical deadline that I'm working towards, I will shut down around noon, one o'clock. And, you know, this past Friday, about two o'clock in the afternoon, my 18-year-old and I went and did some backcountry skiing now that it's staying lighter a little bit longer. So I value my work. I value my role. I'm extremely grateful for the responsibility that's been given to me and for the opportunity that's been given to me, but I'm not willing to do that and sacrifice my marriage. I'm not willing to sacrifice my relationship with my children, and I'm not willing to sacrifice my physical health. I turned 50 this calendar year, and I am in better shape than I was in most of my 30s, in part because I had young children. I had a three to four hour commute every day. I stepping from the military into the private sector, learning business. I had no margin, no time, no nothing. And I was extremely anxious about growing in my career. And I think as I moved into my 40s, I realized my marriage is more important. My children are more important. My sanity is more important. My spiritual life is more important. My physical life is more important. And if I happen to have some career success along the way, then that's just icing on the cake. I also ask myself, how much is enough? How much money do I need to make to be enough? And the answer for almost every American, almost every human is you can never have enough. 
you will hit that next major financial milestone and it will still be not enough. And in fact, I think in the Western world, our lifestyles just get bigger. So part of what I've kind of implemented now is, do I like nice cars? Yes, I can respect a G-Wagon, right? It's a beautiful car. Am I going to buy that car? Hell no. I drive a 2017 Subaru Outback and I've got you now 66,000 miles on it and I take care of that car religiously. And my plan is that I'm driving that car until it hits 200, 250,000 miles because I do not want my lifestyle to grow with my income. If I am blessed enough to have increasingly higher income, which I'm already very comfortable as it is, I want that money to be used towards retirement, towards college education, and frankly, more importantly for me is to be generous with it, to give it away. So it's knowing what you value. It's knowing what your priorities are. It's understanding that work will always be there. You can be very passionate about your work. It's kind of this idea of disordered love. It can be a good thing, but if it's in the wrong order of the prioritization of how you should love it, then maybe it's not the best thing. So for me, work is like four or five on the list of the things that I love and therefore the things that I dedicate my time and effort and commitment to. I still put in a solid sometimes 40, sometimes 60 hours a week, but I also know when I need to make trade-offs and exchanges and when I need to deprioritize. And I'm confident that there are lots of people in my position who would not make the same decisions that I make and may ultimately achieve greater career success as a result. It's interesting, Justin. I had a conversation this weekend with a senior leader friend of mine, and we had the exact same conversation when, you know, you need to take a step back and say, okay, what are my priorities for my life and what are my goals professionally and what happens when those things don't align? And so, you know, it's about having an honest conversation with yourself about the reality of those things if they don't align. That's hard sometimes. I've always liked to be viewed as a high performer. And at some point, I may be viewed as not a high performer at the VP level because I'm just not willing to make some of the sacrifices that other people are willing to make to be that. It doesn't mean I'm doing a bad job. It just means I'm no longer going to be in the top 10%. I'm going to be happy being a mid-level performer because that affords me the right balance. And it doesn't mean I'm not doing my job and doing it well. It just means that I'm not in the top percentile of all VPs who are willing to kind of sacrifice their life for the job. Well, and I really like it because the balance makes me think of a scale and that there's a right answer to get those to balance equally. And the work-life health makes me think of there's a different answer for everyone. Mm -hmm. What's healthy for you? That's all for today's episode. To order your copy of the book, Refine and Grow, Lessons Learned on Navigating the Business World and access additional resources, head out to our website at refineandgrow.com. And tune in next week for an all new episode. Thanks for listening.